Cultivate Simple, episode 66. Yee, chick, 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 chick. I'd rather be a farmer I'd rather work the land I'd rather see the mountainsides I'd rather see your I'd rather swim the ocean I'd rather not pretend Welcome to Cultivate Simple, an honest and unrehearsed discussion about trying to live a more simple life. This is episode 66, and today we are talking about chickens and raising your own flock, the possibility of raising your own flock. Um, we've had a, a lot of people that have requested... Yes. Susie's expertise <laughs> and professional opinion, her deep yes. uh, uh, doctoral study, her dissertation on, on the humble chicken, on the humble chicken, and and all things surrounding said animal. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but before we do that, we wanted to cover listener questions because we did have a listener question from last week. Um, Reed asked a seed starting question, which uh, I don't know if Reed saw in the sidebar of the website, the Seed Starting 101. Oh, yeah. The free ebook that you can download at no additional cost, but feel free to donate if you find value in it. Um, but Reed's seed starting question was what are the ideal, or what what is our what what is the ideal situation to start onion seedlings? Do they like it hot or cool? Um, I have them in a small greenhouse indoors with a sixty watt bulb. So, what do you think? What's the ideal conditions for starting onion seedlings? The most important thing for onion seeds is that they're fresh. I don't recommend saving onion seeds from year to year because the germination rate just really plummets after one year. It seems like a year is about it. And there's no point in trying to waste your grow light space and your time starting old seed. You're better off spending the three to five bucks to get fresh seed every year. Um, and believe me, I know this from experience because I've tried saving seed and it's just not worth it. So now I throw the seeds out for, to the chickens every year um, and start fresh. Um, and yes... Onion seeds appreciate a little bit of warmth, so I put them on, I have a big um, seedling heating mat, which is just this little mat, this real thin mat, that you put out. You can get different sizes, you know, size for one flat, two flats, or four flats. I have a four flat one, um, because I always want to have extra space. And it's and you start a lot of seeds. I start a lot of seeds, and I always start a minimum of four flats of onions. So, and plus it comes in super handy for things like tomatoes and peppers and things that do appreciate a warm, uh, warmer soil environment. Um, especially in Ohio, I had my seed starting area in our basement and our basement was unheated. So it hovered around 50 degrees, which, you know, your tomatoes and your pepper seeds are just not going to start in that temperature. Broccoli and all those other things, uh, brassicas, greens, uh, spinach, beets, those kinds of things don't particularly mind a cooler soil temperature. But onions and peppers and a lot of those things really just kind of languish and the germination just takes a lot longer. So definitely recommend getting a seedling heating mat for your 
for your onions. For your seed starting needs. Yes. And where do you get something like that? You can get it various places wherever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, I mean, I ordered mine off Amazon, so. Oh, okay. There you go. But you can get it at your local greenhouse. You know, your small independent greenhouse should have them. Um, and I would recommend just, unless you're only ever going to start, you know, one or two flats of seed, I would at minimum get the two flat one. Um, even if you only think you might ever grow one, it's better to have more space. It's really not that much more expensive to go ahead and buy the big one. It uses a little bit more electricity, but, and they don't use that much electricity. Someone asked me once and I think I calculated it out and it cost me back in Ohio, like six dollars to run the thing for a month so well worth the investment as far as the cost and the higher germination rates that i would get and then the stronger seedlings so and then considering buying a few pounds of onions will be six dollars yeah, i mean you so. buy one i'd buy two little packs of onions at the local market and pay that much so well worth the well worth the price cool so, Reed, hopefully that answers your question. And if you have a question, you can uh, put that into the show notes and we will try to cover it on the next week's podcast. Um, we had uh, we had a couple other small recommendations. Uh, somebody recommended, I think it was Misty, uh, recommended that, because we were talking on the last show about how we uh, are running out of topics to talk about and <laughs> how sometimes it's hard to find um inspiration i guess to yeah. you know just things to talk about because i feel like we've talked about everything i feel like we've we've shown our whole playbook yeah. um we're all out of things and so it's but unless people are introverts they don't remember that's true things and some people have joined halfway through and haven't gone back and listened so maybe we right. should just maybe i'll just start republishing the podcast i'll do it in like a loop so you know we can start back at number one and just start start over again Maybe not. Um, but uh, yeah, Misty said about maybe recording the podcast twice a month. Um, and then Krista mentioned something about, uh, well, Mandy said that I should we should do a podcast on explaining curling. Um, oh, yeah. But the Olympics are over, so nobody's going to watch curling again for another four years. So uh, I kind of missed that boat, <laughs> um, missed that opportunity. Um, and then uh, Krista asked if we had seen the uh, the British comedy, The IT Crowd, which we did watch a few episodes of that, didn't we? I feel I like remember. we did. Maybe not. I don't remember. Yeah, maybe we should check it out. Um, I, I have seen a couple episodes. It's pretty funny. Um, but we were talking about turning off and on again the uh, computer. That was my geeky tip for the last show. <laughs> yeah. And so she posted a link to a YouTube video because that's kind of like one of their catchphrases on there um so it was pretty funny so thank you for uh those comments um in the show notes if you want to leave us a question or a comment you can always go over to the website at cultivatesimple.com or at sheotsrun.com and in the left hand sidebar there's a link to the most recent podcast you click on that and it's a blog post so just leave a comment uh underneath the blog post and also any links that we discuss or anything will be um in that poster in those show notes as well around the run uh this week we really our our productivity dropped off plummeted. a cliff cliff because uh 
the Olympics were on and we weren't, we actually didn't do a show last week because um, you weren't feeling well, uh, had a bit of a headache. So mm-hmm. yeah, the past two weeks have basically been nothing but Olympics for us. That's kind of our, the winter Olympics are our vacation. Um, yep. We kind of, you know, take it easy and sit around and just watch the Olympics. Um, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I'm glad they're over because now we can get back on a normal sleep schedule. Tonight's the closing ceremony. So we're going to, uh, after we get done recording the podcast here, we're going to watch that and kind of celebrate the, uh, celebrate getting back to work and getting back to a normal schedule of sleep and of work. Um, And catch up on all the work we've gotten behind on over the past two weeks. I know I need to, this is the latest I've ever been at getting my taxes ready. Usually February 1st, I'm at the accountant's office with all of my stuff in tow, but we've been waiting on a few papers from our bank that has proven to be a hassle to work with. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a little bit of an understatement. (laughs) Funny story behind that. Uh, Susie, we've been trying to, as, as many of you know, uh, from listening to the podcast and reading the blog, um, we hate debt, and so we've been trying to pay down our house as quickly as possible and making a little extra payments here and there, and Susie sent in a, an extra payment, um, and then we didn't get a bill, and we thought, oh, great. Yeah. Um, they probably just put it as... Because this has happened before. Right. Because last year, I sent in, when we sold our house in Ohio, I sent in a big payment um, you know, to be applied to principal, and they just applied it as paying my mortgage you know like Your something ridiculous payment. like seven years into the future or something yeah. like that and so when i called them to get everything figured out they said oh but if you if we leave it as is you're not gonna have to make a mortgage payment for six years <laughs> as if that was a big <laughs> but of course they're gonna charge me you know thirty thousand yeah. dollars interest over that period so um i was like no no i would rather you do as i explicitly explained in my letter when i sent to this payment um, and then the lady on, that I was talking to said, well, when you send in a, um, an, an extra principal payment, you need to, uh, make sure you send it in with your little coupon. Cause they send me this coupon with my statement, which I never use because I have my payment automatically scheduled and my bank sends a check. I don't even have to worry about it every month. So I never send one of those in, but she said, well, in order to have it processed properly, you need to send one of these things in. I was like, okay. She said, or you can bring it into a branch and uh, make sure that they apply it correctly, you mm-hmm. know, bring it in. And I was like, really? I have to come in and give a physical <laughs> and make check sure to you make can sure do your you job. can do your job properly. Um, so I just started sending them in with a little, the little coupons. I would save them up and every couple months I make an extra principal payment and I just scribble out the payment information on there and I usually write the check you know write extra principal and the note line on the check and then I usually include a note that says this payment is extra principal my other you know my monthly payment is an automatic scheduled payment so it comes separately and I write this note every time I send in a payment and then I mean I've sent a couple in and they've gone through fine well this time it didn't go through fine so and I called the bank but then I was on hold for like an hour And so finally I was like, I'm not going to, I don't have time to spend four hours trying to fix their mistake. You know, I mean, that's not really my problem. So finally out of frustration, I posted something on my Facebook page and then the bank actually saw it, looked up my information, 
And one of the managers called me back and was apologizing profusely about the issue. Um, and then another lady, the mortgage lady, I think it was one of the ladies that I talked to last time, called me back and explained it. And so this time she said, well, I need to send in extra payments in a separate envelope without the little coupon. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. I'm getting ready to send in extra payments. So we'll see if this screws things up again. But I'm going to save this lady's phone number. And then, of course, that, that means that they had to um, change my mortgage interest tax form for 2013 because they had applied it as like an extra mortgage payment mm, mm -hmm. so of course they do that because then they end up getting the extra interest but and then we got a notification that we had missed a payment that i had missed my january payment <laughs> even though previously they had done everything so that i was paid up through like i don't know april or may of this year with my extra payment and so now i need to call the lady once again and make sure that that everything's squared that away. That everything's squared away, and I'm not being charged late charges because, I don't know, it's yeah. just been the biggest hassle. Another reason just to pay it off and get it over with. I know. It's just ridiculous. I just don't, I mean, this is what they do, mm -hmm. and I don't understand why it's so difficult. But, yeah. I guess they're just not used to people paying extra payments. I don't know. I'd... Or they don't want you to. No, so they don't. You pay your interest, and they can make their money. So that's been another fun thing that we've been oh, dealing the with the past couple of weeks. weeks. It's a huge um, hassle. And then... Uh, but it gives you all the more, like, determination. Yeah, motivation. <laughs> to pay it off and get rid of them because they're just... It's just ridiculously annoying to waste three or four hours of, in a month trying to deal and fix with something that they screwed up. Um, and it's not the first time that it's happened. I mean, this has happened yeah. twice previously. And we've only had this mortgage since june july of 2012 mm -hmm. so completely I, ridiculous i suppose it is that people don't do it often because you think if people did this regularly people complaining yeah, and, or, or just or just people doing it regularly they'd be used to oh okay yeah this goes to principal you know yeah. like the other 10 people today or whatever but it's sad it's, she said they looked it up i think i caused enough of a stink this time um that she said they looked up the person who had entered in the payment because these little coupons have a code right. that they enter in and they could, I mean, you know, they monitor all that stuff. And I guess the lady that manages like the payment processing center went through the um, protocol again with everybody. The lady I talked to <laughs> said that technically the protocol is if the payment is more than the mortgage amount, mortgage because of the payment I sent in was more than my monthly mortgage payment amount and it was just supposed to entirely go to principal she said if it's more than your mortgage payment amount they're supposed to do like a manual entry anyways mm -hmm. so i don't know how this person screwed it up because i don't know they should have had to do it anyway since it was right a larger amount than my normal payment but regardless it's always frustrating yep <laughs> but i'm keeping this lady so i'm gonna write this lady's phone number down and tape it on my computer until I pay it off because I have a feeling I'm going to be getting to know her <laughs> <laughs> on a very personal basis. Hi, it's me again. Yes. You're just going to pop up on her caller ID. Um, what else? This, uh, this coming week, I, I start basic fire school. So today uh -huh. I changed my, changed my disguise. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> or got rid of your disguise, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, um, which I'm sure you'll be seeing pictures of. But Susie and I have been married for 15 and a half years. And I only say the half because we... we okay, so to digress, or no, to regress, I guess it would be. Um, when, uh, when we said, when we first... I'm sorry, when we hit 15 years, we said we were going to stop saying the half because, mm-hmm. you know... It's 15 years. Come on. Mm-hmm. It's it's enough. But I say 15 and a half years at this point because it uh, lends more uh, weight to the story, which is that I've only not had facial hair twice since we've been married. Once was for our wedding, mm-hmm. and I grew out my goatee right afterwards. thereafter. And or the, the Van Dyke, as it's technically ah, supposed yes, to be Van called. Dyke. Um, quote. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and then the, the other time was um, once several years ago, I don't even know, remember when it was, but it was, I don't know, probably I think it was some sort of um, seven or eight, well, 10 years ago, with or the youth group. Kids. Oh, so probably 12 years ago. I believe you grew your hair out and you bleached your hair and then you shaved off your. Your beard, I think, yeah, was a big that's right. contest. Because at- it was going to be to shave off my hair, mm-hmm. but then they were like, well, you've always had a shaved head until you grew your hair out right, anyway, so it's no big deal. And I'm like, all right, for this, I'll this shave my we goatee. And, yeah. and then that gave him some motivation. So yeah, I have, I've had facial hair the whole time we've been married, basically. Um, but uh, in order to do basic fire school, I have to... Uh, be able to seal the air mask on my face, which requires that I have, uh, you know, I could have went with the the mustache, which... Or the mustache and handlebars. Yeah. Yeah. The typical firefighter mustache, it seems, because pretty much everybody in our, our company has it. Um, in fact, there are more guys that have it than don't. Uh, by a good percentage, I would say. Because men, I think a lot of men just want to have facial hair. Yeah. I, yeah. It's very manly. It is. You'll see a manor. It's very manor, too. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I had to, I didn't have to be completely cleanly shaven. I could have kept the, the mustache, but yeah, I'm, I'm not much of a <laughs> mustache. Mustache. Unless you're Tom Selleck. Where? Maybe. <laughs> no and, offense to any of our <clears throat> listeners that rock the mustache. No, there, there are some people that mustaches people look that good can on. do it, but. Yeah. There are a lot of people that do and shouldn't. And yeah, exactly. Um, and maybe, they just look weaselly. Maybe tomorrow, maybe for this podcast, you can put that like a tile <laughs> of those four pictures because <laughs> we did it. We had a little fun with it since we were going to do it. Um, since I was going to shave it off, we because I had a f- full beard um, and I've had that since October, I think. Um, and so I shaved it down back to the Van Dyke or the goatee. And then Susie took a picture of that. Uh, so it was the before and then that after. And then the I... The two normal looks. Yeah, the two normal looks. My, summer and my winter. My summer and winter look. And then I shaved off the uh, the the middle part and the under part. So I just had kind of the handlebar mustache going on. Um, and <laughs> that just looked silly. So then I shaved it so I just had a regular mustache. And that looked mm-hmm. silly as well. Um, and then, you know, finally shaved it all off so now i'm i'm completely smooth again for the third time in our marriage (laughs) so Susie keeps looking at me like she doesn't recognize me yeah 
she said, I might roll over in bed and not recognize you and punch you. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see if that happens tonight. Give me a good excuse, right? <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So hang on. TV timeout while we chase Lucy away from the, the cat uh, plates. She always, Lucy has a, a jingly collar. Um, she's got her dog tags and so on on her collar. But it's actually amazing when the cats don't eat all of their chicken, how quietly she can sneak out to the kitchen. And then all of a sudden you hear her, you know. Crunching on chicken bones. Yeah, chowing down some chicken. And there she goes. Um, so we had to, to ward her off there. Um, I don't think there's really been much else going on around here. Uh now we've been watching Olympics. I've been working on my quilt while we watch the Olympics. Yeah, you've been making a really nice quilt. Used a lot of old fabric that we had laying yeah. around, old sheets and uh, just old clothes and stuff, yep. and cut them all up and into strips. Got a and nice been quilt. It's like a real up. quilt because that's kind of what quilts were always mm-hmm. made out of is all the scraps and old clothing and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of neat that that's what it's made out of and it's really it's turning out really really well mm-hmm. and i used an old i bought a flannel sheet at the thrift store washed it in very hot water several times of course <laughs> um, <laughs> with some non like color safe bleach that i make which is peroxide and uh i use that for the inside because i like quilts that are made with the flannel on the inside instead of your typical kind of puffy quilt padding um it's very old-fashioned. I have a quilt that my great-grandma made, and that's kind of how they did it back then, is they just used their old sheets, flannel, and otherwise on the inside. So it's turning out really well. It's I really like it. I'm hand-quilting it, um, and it just looks really nice. Mm-hmm. I'll be posting pictures of it when it's done, because I have a bunch of people that are wanting to see it. And you posted about your homemade thimble, didn't you? Yeah, I yeah. needed a thimble uh, for hand quilting because my finger was getting really sore and I punched through it a couple times with the end of the needle, like the part you stick the thread through, not the pointy part, which hurts a fair amount Yeah, um, and bleeds a fair amount and then you're getting blood all over your quilt, which is not really great. Um, but yeah, so It's I, a red sheet on the back, it's all yeah, right. Yeah, so you picked up, you'd picked up this old riding glove, this leather riding glove that you had found in the parking lot somewhere, I think. Yeah. I knew it would come in handy one day. And so I was like, I could make a leather thimble out of that because I, I really needed a thimble. And I knew I wanted a leather one instead of a metal one. So I Googled it and, of course, came across directions and made myself a leather thimble, which has been perfect. Mm-hmm. And the weather's been uh, semi-nice around here. The problem with the weather here in Maine is when we go from freezing cold to warm uh, everything turns into mud, mm-hmm. and that's mud season, as it's known here in Maine, uh, which I'm sure many other places have that too, because um, the the frozen ground underneath is still right. hard, and the all the dirt on top is soft, and so it just turns into a soupy mess on top. Um, I think so we had that in Ohio, but it, it, we didn't have it in our driveway because our driveway was done with in Ohio. I mean, maybe they do this. Maybe they don't do this other places. In Ohio, when they build a gravel driveway, they usually put down really big gravel first, and then, mm-hmm. you know, the big trucks drive over it and smash it down, and then they put subsequent, like, smaller and smaller layers of gravel until you... I mean, the final layer of gravel was usually a good-sized gravel, you know, like a crushed granite or something that's really kind of craggy and packs together really well, so you don't have as much of this mud season, I don't think, because, yeah. like, our driveway here just needs a a hefty amount of real gravel to... 
which with the size of our driveway would be yes. quite expensive. It's kind of sand, I so would say. So it's, it's not something we're going to do until probably after we have the house paid off and everything Can else. Get rid of the bank lady. Yeah. But the, the night, well, uh, this coming up week, we're supposed to have another snap of cold air, which we're going to be in the single digits for the lows. But then uh, it's, Susie said that she went out today uh, and she heard some birds singing and Mm -hmm. which we haven't heard in a long time so uh, spring is coming uh, but of course that means seed starting which Mm -hmm. is another uh, fun and exciting thing that happened is that uh, you finally got your dream seed starting light well i finally bought a metal halide light and i've always used fluorescent up to this point that's what everybody says you should use and i just really for one i hate fluorescent lights because the light really bothers me and if I spend too much time under fluorescent light, I end up with a headache. So I really try to avoid it. I used up my seed starting area in Ohio. It was in the basement. I was never down there. I didn't have to be around it. Here in Maine, I put our seed, my seed starting area in our office. So it was kind of annoying because then I, we were in there with a bunch of fluorescent lights. And, um, you know, the fluorescent fixtures aren't cheap. Some people use the shop lights, you know, with the regular bulbs. And those are okay, but they're not, you know... If, they're not ideal. Um, you can get the real grow lights, um, and they do better, but they're really pricey, and you have to swap them out every year, which then gets really expensive, and it just seems ridiculously wasteful to me. And the fixtures aren't cheap if you want a nice fixture, because if you buy the cheap fixtures, they last a couple years, and then they just kind of quit working, and you either have to replace the ballasts. Which or is the most just, expensive exactly, part. Exactly. At that point, you're better off just buying a new light because it's a pain to do some of that stuff. So, and I have a couple of really nice fluorescent grow lights. I mean, I think I paid 100 bucks for each of them. And then I had some cheap ones, just like some cheap grow light ones. And um, they were getting to the point where I'd used them for two seasons, which I should have replaced the bulbs last year, but I didn't. Um, because I use them for so long of a time um, that they really should be replaced every year. And so, I mean, I was looking at a good amount of money to buy new of the little tiny fluorescent lights for my grow lights and stuff. And just, I'd been wanting to get a middle halide because they're a lot better as far as sturdy, stocky seedling growth. Um, And it'll come in handy when I do get a greenhouse to put it in the greenhouse. So I finally just, instead of spending the money investing in, and I needed more grow lights because I was expanding with my garden here with a lot more space. I needed a lot more space. So it was about the same price for me to go out and buy one of these lights as it was to replace fluorescent lights and buy a few more fixtures for my setup. And then I can I bought a thousand watt, which will cover an eight foot by eight foot area. And since I'm t- typically working with between 20 and 30 flats of seedlings at a time, uh, it's perfect for what I need. And I should have really good stocky growth. Um, so, and the nice thing is the bulb... I got a ballast that is dimmable, so I can use it at 400 watts if I don't have, you know, like if I only have six flats of seedlings or eight, I can use it at 600 as well, or I can use it up at 1,000. So um, that's kind of nice that I can, it's, it's works that way, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to buying a smaller fixture and not being able to have more space if I needed it. And then oddly enough, when you're using that much light it's cheaper to use the metal highlight lights they're actually more efficient when you're using that much 
I mean, when I need that much space under grow lights, it's cheaper for me to be running one bulb rather than wanting, I mean, I don't even know how many fluorescent bulbs I would be running for, you know, 24 to 30 seedling flats. So, um, and the nice thing is the bulb was $70. So, and I was reading today and they said a conservative estimate is about 6,000 hours, uh, which is running at 16 hours a day. I think they said for, is that a year? I don't know. Anyways, I figured it out and figured I'd probably have to replace my bulb every three or four years. So at 70 bucks every three or four years, I'm way better off um, as far as the cost of replacing the bulbs. And I think I figured it out and it'll cost me maybe a dollar a day to run the light fixture. So that's not too shabby. No, pretty excited about it. We got mm-hmm. it hanging up in the basement and we'll see how it works this year. And I'm mm-hmm. sure there'll be some blog posts coming on it and and the one caveat to these lights is they do produce some heat particularly at a thousand watts so you know you can't really use them in a really small room we have it in the basement which is cold it's unheated and then there's a door right down there so it gets warmed on there i can just crack the door um, if necessary and it's convenient that if we want to vent it outside we can grab a little buy a little fan and throw up a ductwork and put it in there eventually i want to Put it in the room that the ducks are in. They're in an insulated room in our garage. Move them out of there and make that kind of my seed starting potting shed area. And then I can put it in there and the heat from the light will keep the room warm enough because it's an unheated space. Mm -hmm. Should produce enough heat that it'll keep the room warm enough. I can crack some windows if I need a little extra ventilation. Um, But it should do well enough to keep those seedlings at the right temperature to keep them from freezing so we'll see should be interesting it's all a grand experiment i just like that the light is the xxxl the super extra large that's right and it is it's a it's a pretty big light yeah it is and it's made in the usa which is really great it's made out in washington state um, and you can get bulbs for these lights made in the good old state of ohio so um it's kind of nice because it's really difficult I don't know if you can buy a fluorescent fixture that's made in the United States. I haven't been able to find one. So I think all mine were made in China. So that's kind of nice too. And I appreciate that it's, I mean, it's an investment, but this is a really well-made piece. And this thing should last for forever. And replacing the ballast is super easy because it's a separate thing that just plugs into the light fixture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you buy a new ballast and then you just unplug it and plug it back in. It's not like a fluorescent light fixture, which maybe they have some fluorescent light fixtures that are easier to replace that thing. The ballast and now, I don't know. I mean, I've replaced it in some old fixtures and it was just a huge pain. Yeah. You have to take the whole thing apart, basically. So, yeah. So I'm pretty excited about it and it should be... It just seems like a better investment for my situation. And you can get small ones. And the nice thing is, is I can use this for some of my um, plants in the winter. I have a few citrus trees. And they would, I mean, they, they do okay, but they would definitely benefit from having a little extra light in the winter. So I could get a small grove of citrus trees to put in my basement in the winter to put under the light. And have my own lemons. Well, who knows? <laughs> You never know what's going to happen That's right. in the future. Especially around here. Uh, and that so, yeah. brings us on like to... That's like my big commercial for... And I didn't get paid to do this. I actually paid for the light. Yeah, of course. But What's for dinner? Um, I should talk about what we had last night, but... 
Well, you could talk about last night. Last night we had we uh, no rules on this fish and shrimp curry, Ooh. which was really good. Yeah, it was with red curry paste and coconut milk and onions and red peppers, fresh Maine shrimp. Yep, and haddock. And we had uh, caramelized onions or uh, carrots on the side mm-hmm. with ginger and a little bit of honey and lemon. It was really good. And some and peas. garden fresh peas. And then tonight we had pizza. Yeah. And then, but I didn't make pizza dough, which I am still planning on doing that podcast yeah. or that blog post because everybody keeps asking about my pizza dough recipe. But this time I used a, I made a batch of sourdough naan last night because I had some sourdough started that I needed to use up. So I made a double batch of sourdough naan and to throw in the freezer. And um, I was making them thinking these little naans would be perfect little pizzas, which pitas make perfect pizza crust if you want quick pizzas. Mm-hmm. Um, so tonight I saved two of those out of the freezer and we just loaded them up with some sausage from our pigs and cheese from the co-op mushrooms onions from the garden from the pantry um yeah it was tasty some pesto that i had made in the summer and had in the freezer and they turned out it's a they make great little pizza crusts and great little instant crusts so they're in the freezer so if we ever need quick quick meals you just pull them out well and the good thing about doing that too like if you had a family uh, you know, our kids mm-hmm. is that each of the kids can make their own little pizza, you right. know, with their own toppings and assemble it all themselves. Yep. And then you can just cook them individually. Yeah. And you can, you could pull these things out of the freezer and load them up frozen and throw them in the oven. And they're going to, I mean, they're super thin, so they'll yeah. thaw out and definitely make they're already quick cooked. Meal. So yeah. yeah, they're perfect. Yeah. So that was really good. Highly recommended. So, on to the topic for the evening, which is chickens and why you should get some, which I feel like we've kind of talked about this before on the podcast, but um, we've had some other questions and some people that wanted to, uh, wanted Susie to, to share her vast and right. deep well and this of is where knowledge. I've, you know, people keep asking <laughs> me to do a podcast on chickens, and I don't feel like I should do a podcast on chickens because I'm anywhere... I am nothing close to being an expert on chickens. You know, I've owned chickens for a year and a half, like a year and a half, you know, it'll be two years here in July. Um, So I don't feel like I'm an expert on chickens. However, I uh, have read every single book about chickens pretty much ever written um, in the past, (laughs) although reading and book knowledge isn't even close to sometimes the practical knowledge that you gain while doing it mm-hmm. um but and so angie asked me she's a friend of mine from ohio who i met through the blog and she said she said something about doing a on a blog series or a podcast about chickens and i said well i'm not really you know i don't consider myself an expert on chickens or anything and she said oh that's okay because i'd rather hear what you have to say about it than you know read someone else's book or something so i was like <laughs> well i guess <laughs> i guess i should do a thing about chickens so but that's the disclaimer. I'm, yeah. And that, but that's the thing. It's like anything else. If you ask ten people who keep chickens, you're gonna get twelve different answers on what you should do. So, I guess this is my two cents. <laughs> so this is <laughs> this is opinion number thirteen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so yeah. So before we 
move to Maine. In fact, that's one of the reasons we wanted to move and to get a bit more land and be a bit more secluded is so that we could could try some of these experiments with having uh, different types of animals. And uh, at the place that we lived at in Ohio, it was... Uh, a development we had a quarter of an acre um and then as we've talked about in the past we bought both the lots on either side of us so we had three quarters of an acre wow mm-hmm. um and chickens in, in the bylaws uh of the hoa uh, chickens weren't allowed along with pretty much every other animal except for you know dogs and Annoying cats and dogs and- yeah yeah dogs that bark around the clock and um and that, you know, dogs weren't supposed to run loose either, but everybody let their dogs run right. loose. And some of our neighbors we know uh, had chickens or there were reports of people having chickens, mm-hmm. you know, because they can be kept quiet and you can, you know, do it kind of low key with just a couple of them. But we wanted to, uh, we wanted to have our own chickens. And it was kind of neat when we moved here because the the people that we bought the house off of right before we moved, uh, he called us up because he had, how many did he have? 10 chickens? I think nine with a rooster. Yeah. And he called us up and a rooster. right before we moved and said, you know, I doubt my chickens are going to want to move to the new place. So do you just want to keep them? And it's funny because Susie was just saying, you know, a week before that, you know, it's the fall. I, I don't know where we're going to find chickens and I want to get some right away. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden there they are. So we had chickens as soon as we moved in. Mm -hmm. And we have learned a lot over the past year and a half about chickens and about just different kinds of fowl and keeping them. So this is just kind of an attempt to share a little bit of that. Um, But yeah, like Susie said, um, don't take our word as gospel. And I think it's like anything else. I think it's like plants and everything else that, you know, depending on your situation, depending on your location, um, depending on your setup, depending on, you know, a ton of different factors is going to depend on your success or failure with chickens and what it's going to take to uh, bring that success. So uh, take what take what we say with you know, a grain of salt, but experiment yourself, uh, research yourself. And, yeah. and, and it's not rocket science, answers. it's their chickens. Yeah, I think it's interesting that people are more like Angie, who wants to get chickens. She's got three golden retrievers and a bunch of cats that hang around outside. Yeah. And she she is now feeding them, a, you know, kind of a raw homemade diet. Um, so if you can take care of a dog, chickens are way less work yeah. than a dog is. Absolutely. Particularly an indoor pet. I mean, way less work. They just kind of do their own thing and take care of themselves. As long as you provide a few basic, um, provide for a few basic needs of theirs, they pretty much just do their thing and you reap the rewards of eggs and meat and manure and entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of entertainment. <laughs> so, yeah. So, seriously, if you've been thinking about it but are on the fence, just get chickens. Mm-hmm. That's my advice. We can uh, be done now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Uh, the closing ceremonies are on. Um, the, the what was I going to say? Oh, and if... After a while, you realize that you don't like chickens. Um, the good thing is, it seems like either A, there are always people looking for chickens, right. so it's easy for you to get rid of them, or B, you, you can, can eat them. Eat them. Exactly. Um, you know, turn them into uh, a, but I a don't, soup. And... I really don't think very many people are going to get chickens and then hate having chickens. Um I just don't think that's going to... Unless it's like this horrible, you end up getting bad chickens and they're diseased or just 
you know, have all these problems. I I don't know that I've met anyone who has gotten chickens and absolutely hated it and gotten rid of their chickens. Most people get them and absolutely love it and end up getting, it's like our neighbor Matt says, chicken math, where you yeah. get one chicken and then you have to get three more chickens and then you have to get five more chickens and then pretty soon you have a flock of a hundred running around your yard. <laughs> so that's more often the case than deciding as soon as you get chickens, you realize you don't have enough chickens. That's yeah. pretty much how it goes. Speaking of which, have you talked to Heather recently about her chickens and how they're doing? I haven't. I know one of her hens ended up being a rooster, which she was oh, looking for a home for because she has contraband chickens in an yeah, area she, that's not allowed to have chickens. Yeah. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to check in with her and see how hers are doing. So. Anyway. But last I heard, they were they had started laying, and uh, she was super excited, and uh, her one hen started crowing. So, <laughs> so she was probably looking for a couple more because she only had four, I think. So, yeah. So chickens. Chickens. What do you got to say about them? Get some. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like you said, the the uh, the benefits are numerous with chickens. I mean, right. you get meat, or uh, well, you can get meat out of them, right. um, but you get eggs, you get fertilizer, mm-hmm. and you get pest control, um, exactly. which is one of the huge benefits. Pest control, and you can get um, garden work out of them. So if you keep a traditional garden and you till it up, you can put a fence around it, throw your chickens in there, and then they'll do a wonderful job of eating the weeds and picking the um, picking the bugs out of it and scratching it up and turning the soil and working in manure and that kind of stuff. So um, you get all sorts of stuff when you get chickens. You don't just get eggs. Um, and that's one of the things you need to think about. And uh, I suppose first we should talk about why I think everyone should have chickens. Mm-hmm. Right, because you think everyone should have either chickens or rabbits, right? Right. I think everybody should have something like that. Um, some sort of a garden and chickens or rabbits, something where they can produce a small amount of the food that graces their table. Right. Just because it produces a lot of satisfaction and a tiny bit of independence and it's a great learning for your kids and yourself. And uh, and it just makes you appreciate food in general. Mm-hmm. You know, just the, the, the time that it takes and the energy it takes. And, yep. uh, and it's fun to do too. They and it provide brings a good whole entertainment. Another layer of interest to the food that's on your table. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're eating an omelet in the morning, it, it's a different experience if those eggs come from the grocery store, if they come from a local farm, or if you gathered them yourself that morning or the day before from your chicken coop. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, one of the first considerations and one of the questions people ask is how much time they take. Because people, I mean, and this is where you were saying about having a an indoor dog or cat, um, you know, especially a dog. A dog takes a decent amount of time per day when you think about mm-hmm. feeding it and taking it outside and, you know, cleaning up after it because it seems to always make a mess every single day uh, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So how much time do chickens take? Chickens really don't take that much time. Um, it depends on your setup, how you have everything worked out. I mix my own feed. Um, and I ferment the feed and it takes me about 10 minutes a day. And that's for my chickens, the ducks and the guineas. So mm-hmm. we have total of about 60 fowl here. Um, 
and it takes me about 10 minutes a day and they are housed in two different locations if they were in the same place it would take me a little bit less time but uh and if I, I mean, if it really depends on your situation. If you feed commercial feed or just whole grains, you can fill a feeder and leave it in the coop. And then you just have to check on the food levels and the water levels. Um, there was a book called Made by Hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we're going to put a link um, to that in the show notes too. He automated his a pop door in his chicken coop so that he didn't have to make sure to remember to run out in the morning and the evening to close it off and so that they could leave if they wanted to in his pop door automatically opened and closed um every day Uh, we have a enclosed run attached to our coop so i can leave i leave their pop door open all the time and the chickens can come in and out and at least have a little outdoor space um it's snowed the run is kind of full of snow so this time of year i just open up the front door to the coop and i shovel walkway up there and then the chickens come down the walkway and Mm -hmm. run around the the driveway and go visit the ducks and all the fowl interact together in mm-hmm. one big happy family. Well, chi- they're funny because the chickens think that the duck room is way cooler than their chicken coop. Right. And then the ducks <laughs> go up to the chicken coop um, and look around. So I, I like it, though, because the ducks don't scratch like the chickens do. And so the chickens go up and scratch around and loosen up the litter in the duck coop. So I sprinkle some grain up in there to encourage the chickens to do that, which, you know, helps. And then I sprinkle fresh litter on there and... um. I'm kind of glad that they do it. It makes my job easier Mm -hmm. because ducks have a tendency to pack down their bedding, um, which can be a problem. So really when it comes to chickens, if you're feeding pellets or commercial feed, I mean, it's basically every day you're gathering eggs. That's your job. That's what you're doing. That's pretty much it. You know, gather your eggs, look around, make sure everybody's doing all right. Yeah. If you have an attached run. If you don't, then, you know, you're opening your door for them if you're letting them out run around, which you probably are. And they so. do. I mean, they provide entertainment. That's the They're funny. That's They're the hilarious. Thing. And so you are going to want to watch them, mm-hmm. which then cuts down on that, you know, time of making sure that they're all doing okay. Because mm-hmm. as you, it's kind of strange, you start to see patterns and you start to see sort of their social interactions with one another. And right. And you can pick out the pecking order. Right. And you kinda, that's what, what I go up to the coop every night. Um, about dusk and I count the chickens and make sure they're all in because we let ours just kind of run everywhere. Um, so I count to make sure everybody's in there. And then if not, you know, I go around looking to see if someone got nabbed by a predator or, you know, if they're just roosting somewhere strange or, um, and it's kind of funny to watch how, you know, the, the, um, there's the rooster, and he's at kind of the top of the pecking order. If you have a rooster, if you don't, then, you know, you'll have a hen that is. But then you get the favorite hens that, that roost on either sides of the rooster, mm-hmm. you know, and then you get the, the kind of pecking order down from there. And you can see them interact as you feed them. You know, the the higher pecking order ones get to eat first, and they peck the other ones and chase them out of the way. Um, And I know people that get all upset. I'm a member of a natural chicken keeping group on Facebook. And there are people on there that complain every now and then about chickens like pecking at each other or, Mm -hmm. but I mean, that's how they establish, that's kind of their social order. And that's how they establish um, boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of let it happen unless someone is 
I mean, I've introduced new flock members multiple times and I check them in there at night and there's a little bit of pecking in the morning, but as long as it doesn't, as long as I'm not seeing too many feathers flying around and blood, then I just kind of let them figure it out. Um, and you provide a place for chickens to hide if they need to, but they kind of figure it out. And I, it's really fun, really interesting to watch. Um, to see how, because we had a rooster and eight hens when we moved here, and then the rooster protected his ladies from a, f a fox and got nabbed by a fox in the process. So then we didn't have a rooster. So then one of the oldest hens was the lady on top. Yeah. And then we brought in four hens and two roosters. And then, you know, she was knocked down because there was then a rooster, like a high rooster, and then there was one below him, kind of. Um, so then she got knocked down a peg, but then, so then she started picking on other chickens cause mm -hmm. she was, you know, annoyed that she was no longer the top of the totem pole. So it's just kind of funny to watch them interact. We also have one chicken that's an introvert. She always, she's always roosting roosts off by, by herself. herself. We call yeah, her big even, ginger. Even when she's out running around, she's usually by herself, just kind of wandering around doing her own thing. She's our big buff Orpington hen. Yeah. And then we have these little uh, barred hens that are just barnyard mixed chickens. They were um, hatched out by our neighbor, so they're a mix of a some Delaware and some other thing. I don't know what other breed it was, but they're the friendliest little chickens. They're really mm -hmm. pretty, um, and they're they're scrappy little chickens. They're they'll come and jump up on your shoulder, and you can pick them up. Friendly as can be. Um, they're lower on the totem pole, though, because I have, like, a flock within a flock, so I have them, three of them, a, a Delaware mix hen, and then a Delaware mix rooster, and then I have a big silver-laced Wyandotte rooster, and then he was kind of the patriarch of my original flock, and then I introduced this other smaller flock into him, which they came out of a batch of broilers that we raised this summer. So we checked them in there one night, you know, and the other rooster kind of makes sure to keep him in his place. But really, he just chases him off, you know. Yeah. He kind of looks at that other rooster and the other rooster goes running away. So, <laughs> you know, there's been no bad fighting between those two. Um, but these little barred hens, because they're of the subflock, they're kind of this, the lower rooster's hens. Um, and so he breeds them and they kind of run around as their own little flock. But then one of these hens is really... Um, I don't know. She's just really assertive. So she'll try, she'll go running up and eat first and then dart in and out of the other chickens trying to peck at her. <laughs> and she'll go up and roost like right beside the one of the favorite chickens right beside the main rooster, you know, and she'll hop her way up there and try to roost right beside the main <laughs> rooster too. She just roosts so that her head's the other way so he can't peck her in the head and he doesn't notice she's there. It's really funny to watch her kind of we trying to weasel her way into the main flock um because i don't know that i'm i don't know it seems like she doesn't particularly like this other rooster that we have the other hens like him and run around with them but she never does she always tries to run around with the other chickens um which she's kind of bottom of the totem pole you know because she's not one of the original flock members over there and she's the smallest one so I find it really interesting to watch her interactions particularly because she's so assertive and so friendly She's the one that comes running up to me whenever she sees me and she'll jump up on my shoulder or jump in my pan. I carry all the food out in a pan. She jumps right in the pan, you know, and will ride up to the chicken coop on the pan as I carry up there. <laughs> so they are super entertaining to watch. Um, 
that's one of the unforeseen benefits that mm-hmm. you'll get. So how much do they cost then? And I guess that really depends on what type of chicken you get because you can buy different types of chickens and different people like to get, you know, special breeds yeah, and, and uh, pretty kinds and different colors and so on and so forth. Your biggest expense is going to be um, in the long haul, the feed. Um, you're going to have to get a coop or build a coop or somehow change one of your buildings into a coop. Um, I mean, Chickens are pretty, chickens don't care mm-hmm. as long as they have a few, you're taking care of a few of their, being, your, their basic requirements. They don't really care um, what their coop looks like, but feed, and it depends on what kind of feed you want to get. I mean, you can get the Cadillac of feeds from William Sonoma that costs a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money. Don't do that. Which also, I don't buy your coop from William Sonoma. That. They have beautiful coops, but find a local person that can build you a nice one that looks like them. There is if you don't want to instead of buying one from them. But um, it really depends on the kind of feed you want to feed them. You know, you can get organic feed, and that probably depends on the area of your country that you live in. I think organic feed, on average, is 20 to 30 bucks for a 50-pound bag, depending on... It could be less. It could be more in some places. Um, yeah. I feed grains from local farms that I get at a local um Which mill. we did a whole episode right. on, so go back and listen, listen to, to the fermented, fermenting for the flock. Yeah, uh, if you want to hear about that. Um, and that's pretty simple. You know, you can augment their food with kitchen scraps and food scraps from your food and scraps from your garden and that kind of stuff. And if you let them free range in your yard, they're going to glean some of their own food, which makes it cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but just check on the price of feed and don't always assume that you need to buy feed at the feed store. I had a, fr- I have a friend who got some chickens um, and she actually asked the person from the farm where she was buying eggs before she got chickens. And that lady actually raises her own grains and mixes her own feed. And she always has extra feed. And so she now sells her extra feed to my friend who got a flock of chickens. So she gets organic local grain, like hand-mixed feed from a local farmer for cheaper than what she would pay for organic feed from the store, the feed store. Mm Mm-hmm. So ask around. Um, your best resource is going to be finding a couple of people in your area that keep chickens. Um, if you want to keep them in a more organic way, I would try to find people who tend that way as opposed to people who don't because um, you're going to get better advice from them for the particular situation that you also want to set up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would... Talk to a couple of people in your area, go to your local feed store, ask them about the different kinds of feed that they have and how much they cost and that kind of thing. Ask around and see if you know anybody that, um, any farmers that grow grains. You know, and chickens are pretty adaptable as far as what they can eat and what grains, you know, they're seed eaters. So they can eat a wide variety of grains and really thrive and do well, um, particularly some of the older breeds that don't lay quite as much, they'll do a little bit better. You know, on a um, less than optimal, not that home mixed is, you know, less than optimal, but uh, they do a little bit better, I think, sometimes if mm. they're 
some of the chicken breeds that lay 350 eggs a year, mm-hmm. they need a, a lot more. I mean, if you think about it, they need a lot more nutrient density, which you can provide with home mixed feed. But um, yeah, wheat, I mean, wheat is really the perfect chicken feed. If you read a lot of the history, particularly fermented wheat, if you can find someone in your area that's growing that, or I mean, even amaranth is great. Uh, I recommend really asking around and finding some different local grains and trying those, maybe augmenting store-bought feed for a while, mm-hmm. um, and then coming up with your own thing, because chickens really, chickens love the whole mixed feed. Yeah, they do. So along with the 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 cost and time, um, obviously chickens need things, but really they don't need too much. Um, they really, I mean, the biggest thing they need is shelter, um, a place, first of all, that's going to protect them from predators. So right. depending on your situation, I mean, if you're in a neighborhood and, you know, every backyard is surrounded by a fence, there are still predators that can come around, you know, raccoons, right. uh, house cats even. Um, so they need a place that, especially at night, mm-hmm. because at night chickens go into They're more vulnerable. this trance-like. At um, night, yeah. And... So they need to be protected, which is why you have the coop. Um, but you really don't need a huge coop, especially if you're only going to keep, you know, a couple chickens. Because they say, you know, all of the, or not all, but some of the books say, what, a foot of roost There's space? There's a foot of roost space per chicken. Per chicken. But then our chickens... Which I kind of laugh at. We yeah. have a foot of roost space for chicken, but our chickens cram into the smallest spaces, and they use a little bit more roost space in the summer when it's hot. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of spread out a little bit more, but those chickens just pack it onto the roosts. And we have... I mean, we just have ridiculous amounts of roost real estate in our coop because of these yeah. chickens... Um. It's all on one like side of the coop up, and all. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they move around and they have favorite spots and then it changes and they decide this spot's better. And Yeah. <laughs> so besides protection, your coop should provide um, shade from the sun, protection from the wind and rain uh, to keep them out of the elements. Um, but really, I mean, that's really their only requirement. Um, like Susie said, if you have an, a run attached, um, then, you know, a good space for them to to run around in or if you're just going to kind of let them free range around your yard again it just depends on your setup really and this is one of those it depends situations setup. anything you're going to provide for a hen even if it's small is going to be way better than what they're going to experience in a commercial setup mm-hmm. i mean if you think about the commercial setup these hens are in a space that is about as big as an ipad and that's the space that they spend two years of their lives in Yep. And they never get to go outside. And you read the books and, you know, it depends on the book. They tell you how much space that, you know, and that's for, you want your chickens to be healthy. You want your chickens to be happy. But in reality, whatever you can give them is going to be better in the situation you can provide them in your backyard, even if it's a small coop and a small space. Uh, my friend Heather has one of those little, like, dollhouse type coops. So it's like, it's not even a really... Not even as tall as I am, so it's maybe four or five feet tall. Um, And the coop is in the upper part, so it's almost like a little doghouse. Mm -hmm. It's barely two feet tall, but she has the roost in there kind of like eight inches up off of the floor of it. And then underneath, she's got a little pop door that's, um, I think, in the bottom. 
and then a little ladder that comes down. And the area underneath the coop is a little enclosed run. And it's enclosed with hardware cloth. And, um, I mean, it's small. It's probably the footprint of it is about... It's not even as big as our dining room table. She has four chickens in there. Now she opens it up and lets them run around her yard. Um, when she's home, she leaves them closed up when she's not home. But, you know, her chickens are happy in there. And they, they're... They're enjoying their lives much more than a chicken wed in a confined system. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't have a huge space, you're still going to have happy chickens, you know, provide them with a few things to keep them occupied. We have 20 chickens. And then in the winter, when we get tons of snow and I have it shoveled, they'll stay in the coop. And our coop, I mean, I don't know how big is our coop. It's probably like 10 by 12. Yeah, probably. Um, so, you know, 120 square feet of space. I've got 20 chickens in there. I use a deep litter method, so they have tons of litter to scratch around, and that's pretty much what they spend their time doing, which that's what chickens really want to do. Mm-hmm. And chickens love to sit around and just roost and just sit there. Um, <laughs> I put They don't the, need to be entertained. <laughs> no, they, I mean, they pretty much entertain themselves. If you have something for them to scratch around in, if they're out... They're scratching around. That's what they love to do. So that's one thing I love about about the deep litter system is that they'll spend all day in the coop and they're just scratching around in the litter. And I I go in there and as I layer it up, I throw grains in there so it gets buried in the litter. And so it gives them stuff to scratch through and Mm -hmm. find all day. Um, No doubt there are bugs that get in there. You know, our coop is not sealed up tight by any means. No. Um, So... There are probably insects in there, and I throw vegetable scraps in there and um, all kinds of stuff. And they have a grand old time in there. They never seem bored. I p- you can pin up little suet blocks to the wall or heads of cabbage. You can hang it from the ceiling like a pinata, and they'll peck at it and have a grand old time. But, you know, they do all right. Yeah. They're pretty resilient creatures. If you do have ducks, though, you should put a mirror up because it's pretty funny. Yeah, ducks, ducks like to look at themselves for some especially reason. Especially the drakes. <laughs> they just stand there and look in the mirror. and It's like they're saying, wow, I am, <laughs> I am, just... I am one handsome, handsome duck. <laughs> and it's probably because our ducks look like Elvis. They have like the Elvis swirl hair, which I really need to get a picture of it because it really cracks me up. Um, um, another question people ask uh, is if ducks smell. Ducks chickens no chickens we're talking about chickens yeah Yeah. ducks or chickens yeah um no if you maintain them properly Mm -hmm. it's like a compost pile your compost pile doesn't stink unless you're not managing it properly and chickens don't really smell unless you never change their litter never put new litter in there have them in a really tiny space and never um put litter in there to kind of it's like cat litter Mm -hmm. if your cat just pooped in your bathtub without any cat litter in there. Yeah, your bathroom's going to stink. Yeah. But you have a litter box. You scoop it out. That kind of thing. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. And we use a deep litter method, which is uh, basically adding litter on top of uh, the existing litter that's in there. And as Susie said, then they get in there and scratch around, which then breaks up their own manure, which then helps it to decompose. And then you add litter on top of that and you keep adding. So really, I mean, we need to clean out our chicken coop, like maybe every six months to a year, depending on, um, you know, how many Mm -hmm. chickens we have and so on. And, but then all of that litter becomes, uh, 
compost. compost that you can use, you know, right. uh, after it's been fully composted, you can use that on the garden and it's, it's great. Uh, and the great thing about the deep litter method, and, uh, the book that I recommend, Harvey Usery's book explains it in a lot more detail. Um, I'd highly recommend using the method. Uh, the nice thing about it is it's kind of like probiotics for your kitchen, your chicken coop. Um, so it's kind of like it provides healthy microbes. So a lot of studies have been done. And with deep litter methods, the chickens have a lot less um, risk and in instances of disease, all the different varieties of chicken diseases that there are. So it just makes for healthier chickens. Plus, it just gives them something to do. Our chickens, seriously, if they don't go outside, you know, if it's raining and I leave the coop door closed or if it's snowing and, you know, sometimes I just leave them in there. If we have a hawk hanging around, I don't let them out. They just scratch around in the litter all day and have a grand old time. So it gives them something to do. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously by now people are just really dying to get chickens. Uh, they're... <laughs> We've talked them into it, and There's they are. There's going to be a surge. They are ready to go. Uh, everybody's looking for chicks now. So, where should people start? What's the first thing that they should do if they want to get chickens? Well, the first thing I would do is not recommend not buying chicks from a hatchery. I know that's like completely against what a lot of people think should be the course of action, um, but it's like anything else. Your future chickens. You want them to be, have the healthiest start that they can. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, some hatcheries are better than others. Um, I have issues with the hatchery business um, because everybody wants to buy hens. They don't want to buy straight run chicks. So there are a lot of uh, animals that are killed because of the hatchery process. So um, I would recommend, not only because of that industry, and there are some hatcheries that are better than others you know you're going to get some better quality chickens from them i would recommend finding someone locally that breeds chickens um somewhere where you can go and walk around and make sure they're keeping them in good mm. conditions um if you have friends that have chickens you know ask where they got them most people get them from a hatchery but you should be able to find someone that's breeding chickens um close to you close enough uh that you can get chickens from them i would i would i would assume um and i would recommend you know don't settle on a breed until you see what you can get locally because you're just i mean your chickens are going to be healthier you're going to have a lot fewer issues and troubles which means that you're going to enjoy raising them too if, you yeah, know, if you have and, a good experience exactly then you'll enjoy and it. um if you know someone who has some chickens you know with a rooster Maybe you would consider, you know, our neighbor hatched out chicks and we raised them for meat birds and then we kept some of the birds as hens. You know, there's nothing wrong with a barnyard mixed chicken, which is like the mutt of a chicken. Our barnyard mixes are some of our best chickens. Mm -hmm. um, so there's nothing wrong with that e either. But if you have a particular breed that you really like, you can also find small farms that breed and will ship hatching eggs or will ship chicks. Um, so you're getting them from a better environment. There's a certain kind of chicken that I would, I've been wanting to think about getting. Um, and I found two farms, two smaller farms that sell chicks. So if I want to get chicks, I don't have to support a big hatchery operation. 
they hatch them out, chuck them in a priority mailbox, you know, and send them to you. But even then, I mean, I'd rather find someone locally just because your chicks don't have to deal with the stress of being shipped and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So plus then it's just good to build up that networking community um, of people in the area. And it would be great to, if you find someone who is breeding chickens, clearly they're knowledgeable chicken people and they would be a really great resource to have. Mm -hmm. And if they sell you chickens, they're probably, you know, they're, they're more than willing to answer questions because they want to see you succeed and they want to see you succeed with the chickens. They want their chickens to live in a good place and to have a good life. So, I mean, that's really, I would recommend going the extra mile. I think that's a super important step in this process, but I'm kind of like that about everything, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, it's part of the process and it's, it just will make the, make everything more enjoyable and you're going to get a better product. So you may as well. So the next thing you should probably do is look for a good spot to put them. Um, Mm -hmm. So depending on your setup, again, this is one of those, it depends. Um, You, and you know, we've talked about permaculture in the past. You want to put the chickens in a place where you're going to go every day or someplace that you're going to walk by every day um, or someplace that's convenient that you can do something every day because you do, if you have layers, you do need to collect the eggs every day. Right. And Um, if you, and if you don't have an enclosed run, you're going to be opening their, their coop door every morning and closing it up in the evening. So you just want it to be convenient. Um, But then you also want to look at your existing setup. So, you know, my friend Angie, they have an old kind of, dilapidated shed on their property and they're thinking about kind of turning that into their chicken coop which that's perfect mm-hmm. chickens could care less if i mean i've seen some chicken coops and yeah <laughs> there's no <laughs> there's not much coop left to it yeah it's more i mean i have a co. friend in ohio she has a depart she has a degree in agriculture that's what she studied that's kind of what she does she works for the ohio i think the ohio department of agriculture now um and she has her layer flocks in a movable coop. She made it out of uh, like the plastic PVC. Mm-hmm. So hers almost looks like a little hoop house. It's probably five feet wide by eight feet long. And she just made, you know, a square or a, tr- a rectangular base. And then she bent the plastic PVC hoops over that. And then she... Um, put hardware cloth over that. And then over the one end, she has a tarp that she puts over it. And then she put roosts in there. And as long as that's pointed kind of away from the prevailing winds, that gives them, and she lives in Ohio. She's on a zone five. So, and the book that I'm, I'm going to recommend, Harvey Usury's book, he has tons of great ideas in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a recommendation for like a great coop. That's if you're going to have a bunch of chickens and be breeding, but chickens are pretty versatile. So they'll do all right with a plastic tarp around some um, cattle panels. Yeah. And another thing to consider when you're considering location um, and also to a certain extent breed is that um, chickens will eat like garden plants. They will get into your garden and they will eat uh, the plants and scratch around. So um, if you have flower beds that you don't want them mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, or your neighbor does, and or you yeah, don't have or a your neighbor between you beds. and your um, neighbor's yard, you might need to consider getting some sort of a 
poultry fence to put around mm-hmm. and contain them in one area. Or they again, will. if you're doing an enclosed run, this isn't going to be a problem. But if you're going to let them out right. to free range, then just think about those things because they're, you know, they will get into everything. Um, yeah. You know, unless of they're course... They're curious creatures. Yes, they are. Uh, especially if there's good bugs and grass to be had, they'll, they'll be in there. soil is unturned. Yeah, they want to turn it. Um, and, and again, that's another consideration with breeds too, is that some breeds um, scratch more and, uh, you know, turn over the soil more and others, others don't. So... Um, and you, but you want well. Your main consideration, I think, when it comes to breed, is going to be: Do I need something that can take the cold, or do I live in a warmer climate? Do I need something that can take the heat? Um, that's one of the considerations mm-hmm. you want to think about, depending on because there are some chickens that are more cold tolerant, and there are some that are more heat tolerant. Um, you don't want to end up getting a chicken that just is going to be miserable in the area that you live. Because of because you chose wrong. So that's one thing you do kind of want to look at. And that's another reason to buy from a local breeder. Because you mm-hmm. know those chickens are perfectly suited and thrive in your area. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason to go local in, in that regard as well. Because then you don't accidentally get a jungle fowl when you live in northern Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it depends on your situation as to what kind of coop you're going to need. Um you know, how many chickens do you want to have? And don't just think about how many chickens are you going to get right now? Because if you're going to get three or four chickens, more than likely, you know, you're, you're going to end want up with six chickens, some or, others. Yeah. So over plan a little bit, overbuild a little bit, make it a little bit bigger than you think you're going to need. Um, because then you do have that room to expand if you want to. Um, uh, like I said, too, with the uh, depending on your situation, depending on your yard, if it's enclosed, if you have places you don't want the chickens to go, then doing an enclosed run uh, might be a good idea for you. In fact, I think it's a good idea anyway, because then and if it's you're... It's super convenient. Yeah. If I you're, highly recommend it. If you are going to do, you know, more of a free range setup, and but you're not going to be home for, you know, a day or two, you can just open up that enclosed run door and then, you know, leave the chickens enough food and water mm-hmm. and they'll be fine and they can get access to the outside and, mm-hmm. you know, go out and soak up some sun and catch some bugs. And uh, They're definitely most protected that way. Um, and if you're gone all day, I would recommend doing that um, as far as... You know, even if you live in a neighborhood, you're going to need good predator control because you're going to have hawks, you're going to have raccoons, you're going to have weasels, any of those things. Um, Sometimes neighborhood cats, I think sometimes cats get blamed for chicken deaths when it's actually weasels and other Mm -hmm. things. All of our cats here are scared to death of our chickens. (laughs) So... I'm not sure, and our, you know, and our cats are hunting cats, and Dexter will kill weasels and all kinds of animals, and he is scared to death of our chickens. So I'm not so sure that feral cats are necessarily an issue. Maybe if you have bantams or something like that, they could be. I think most often they get blamed when it's a raccoon, a skunk, Mm -hmm. um, weasel, those kinds of things. Um, Even rats, big rats, if you have small chickens, can be... Um, one of my friends just had one of his breeding ducks killed by a rat, of all things. So you need to protect from that hardware cloth. And I think in the main, besides predator control, the your main consideration is going to be making sure you have proper ventilation in your coop. Because mm-hmm. chickens need fresh air just like humans. Um, and you don't want buildup of moisture. Moisture is harder on chickens than anything else. And for more, I mean... 
you know, this is kind of skim coding, chicken right. keeping. Um, buy Harvey Usury's book and read it. He goes down to great information in there about how important ventilation is for chickens. You know, you risk over insulating and tightening up your chicken coop is way worse for them than having to deal with right. a little bit of cold. So and they can deal with the cold. And again, this depends as long on as it's not this, humid. They yeah. be fine with the cold. And that goes back to the breed again and finding them mm-hmm. locally because if you do find you know a breeder or not even a breeder but you know a friend or somebody that that has chickens locally, obviously that breed is going to be good for the area rather than ordering them from somewhere else, getting right. them mailed in, and then finding out that they're not great for your area. Um, and I would recommend, and I should have mentioned this up when I talked about where do you start um, or where do you get chickens from, I would recommend um, not getting chickens from Craigslist. Mm-hmm. And this is funny because I've gotten chickens from Craigslist, but I think that if you're not familiar with chickens... Yeah, don't get your first chickens from Craigslist. Maybe um, it would be I better. I think that there are a lot of chickens on Craigslist that are being passed off because they're old chickens. They're kind of past their laying prime. I've heard horror stories of people getting really badly diseased chickens and they bring them back and it kills all their other chickens. You know, and there are issues with quarantine, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go into that. Um, but... Yeah. I got chickens from Craigslist, but the lady I got them from is a chicken breeder, and she works at a local um, vet's office, and she got them, she, they, they were rescued, they were dropped off, she also works with local, like, animal shelter, and the chickens were dropped off there, and she took them to her farm, she quarantined them for four months, made sure they weren't sick, and since she's, like, a vet assistant... <coughs> I knew that I wasn't getting diseased chickens from her. So, I mean, you just, you can get find good chickens on Craigslist. You might be able to find... I mean, it's a good place to look because sometimes you'll find local people that are breeders and that sell on there. Mm-hmm. But just be wary. Ask if, lots of questions. Be, ask lots of questions. Go see the setup. Um, it's probably not a bad place to find someone who's breeding chicken who's selling either hatching eggs or chicks. But you probably aren't going to want to get a flock of chickens from craigslist and there are exceptions there was a lady up here that i almost got a couple chickens like a flock of eight chickens because they were moving across country and they were a flock a beautiful flock of free-range hens that had been fed organic feed you know and she had a ton of great pictures and um she was being really picky about who she was mm-hmm. allowing. So there are those instances where you might find a really great little flock of instant chickens there. Yeah. But just be really leery and make sure you don't go in blindly and end yeah. up with if some the listing really is sick Five chickens, chickens, must take them all, come get them. Yeah, you and know? you'll find lots <laughs> of roosters like, uh... on there where people buy chicks and, you know, end up want hens and can't have roosters and end up with roosters. But... Overall, use it, but be really cautious mm-hmm. about the kinds of things you um, decide to bite on. There. So, piggybacking off some of your comments there, um, and we really haven't had a problem with this hardly at all. Um, but what about diseases? Like, what about taking care of the overall health? of the chickens and when it comes to that. Chickens are really resilient and really hardy as long as they're you're you're as long as you're providing for a few of their basic needs. And I think that chickens that are allowed out and free range and get a wide variety of healthy foods are going to be a lot healthier than you know your chickens that are confined all the time, but 
I mean, overall, your chickens are going to be pretty healthy if you're providing, as long as you're making sure that you're adding some fresh litter to their coop and you're feeding them a good food um, and their coop is well ventilated and you get good chicken stock, you're, you know, you're not really going to have to worry about it. Where you have to worry more is when you have an established flock and you're introducing new chickens if you don't know where those chickens are coming from. Um, although I'm a big believer, I don't believe that um, lack of disease comes from lack of germs. I believe it comes from a healthy immune system. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer in doing everything you can to promote a healthy immune system in your birds. And then if you get chickens that um, become diseased or um, fall to some sort of an illness that the rest of your flock hasn't, you know that those chickens don't have good genes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I personally call those birds if I ever notice a bird that's just not thriving um, when all of the other ones are, as long as they're being, you know, as long as it's not an environmental thing. I've had a chicken that, I don't know, she like sprained her ankle or something and she limped around for a month and then she was fine. So, I mean, that's different. But, and I'll, I put garlic in my chicken's water and I um, feed them kelp and alfalfa and herbs here and there. And I'm, you know, I make sure I provide and try to give them a, the healthiest environment possible. Mm-hmm. And we really haven't had any issue. We've had two chickens, two of our oldest chickens that have just kind of slowed down and died. We figure from old age, you yeah. know, they they weren't visibly ill. They didn't, um, they didn't appear ill anyways. Right. They, and they were our old chickens. I think they were like four years old. So, you know, um, we assumed that it was just old age. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, hopefully... If you get good chickens to begin with, provide a good environment, you're not really going to have to deal with that too much. And, you know, it's not always going to be peaches and cream. You might have to um, deal with it. And that's something you need to be prepared for. The mm-hmm. the um, possibility of having to call it. Or if you are not comfortable doing that yourself, I'm sure you can find someone who's a hunter or something who is used to that kind of thing that would be probably more than happy to come help you with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's another thing that you should decide from the beginning. Um, I mean, we've, we've decided from the beginning that our chickens, our guineas and our ducks are, they are, I mean, they're working birds. They're providing us with, with eggs and, and those types of things. Um, and the manure and everything else that we talked about, uh, but they're not pets. They're, right. you know, they're, they're meat animals and they're, uh, laying animals and they're working animals. Um, some people do keep their, their chickens as pets and then it's more difficult for them to deal with right. issues like illness because then they want to take them to the vet and, and spend hundreds of dollars to get chickens them to the patched vet up and, and get and, all kinds of... You know, I mean, I'm a member of this chicken group and there's a lady on there that's taken one sick chicken to the vet like four or five times and it's gotten x-rays and all kinds of stuff. And I think to myself, personally, I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. I would call the bird just because, you know, the bird is not of good disposition. Mm -hmm. It's just not healthy if it's succumbed to a disease and it's not able to bounce back if you give it. A little bit, you know, and I'm I'm not against treating a bird. Mm-hmm. 
if necessary, um, if you want to. Um, but it's just one of those things. Yeah, you have to decide. Um, what your management practices are going to exactly. be. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And I kind of tend in, you know, once again, the book I'm recommended, I really follow kind of Harvey's thought process in that if the bird isn't thriving and doing well when all of the other ones are, you know, you need to make sure that particularly this is extremely important if you're going to be breeding or trying to hatch out eggs, that that bird is called because you never want to pass those genes on. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be really... um, hardcore kind of when it comes to those kinds of things um because you don't want to breed disease um or weaknesses or those kinds of things so i mean it's just something to be prepared for it really doesn't happen that often um my friend joan just had one of her chickens die they've had chickens for eight years and i think only two of their chickens have died in the eight years they've had it so Mm. you know and the chickens are fine and then one morning they go in there and one chicken's dead and we've had that happen to one of our chickens, and we just figured it was old age because she was fine the day before, and you go in the next morning, and she's just dead. Yep. So, I mean, you just kind of assume, you know, chickens have a life expectancy, you yeah. know, of, I don't know, three to eight years. I know people have had chickens that live 12 years, but it depends on the breed. It depends on the situation. It really depends on um, the sometimes the genes that they have coming in, too, you know, so... So we already talked about um, feeding them and how we feed them. And like we mentioned, and uh, go back into the list of podcasts and you can listen to the uh, Fermenting for the Flock podcast because that's where we talk about how Susie makes all of our food for our chickens and mixes our own. Um, And then uh, I guess the big thing is, as you said at the top of the podcast, you know, if, if somebody's kind of on the fence about doing it, that you just recommend that they do it. Uh, give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you're not going to, you know, worst case scenario, you can either get rid of the chickens, give them to somebody else, um, turn them into soup. Uh, you know, it's not a huge upfront investment necessarily. You have to build the coop and you have to buy a little bit of food and, of course, you have to get the chickens. Um, but it's not a it's not a huge loss if it doesn't work out for you. But there's really, there's not much to it. Um, like Susie said, if you have, a, you know, a cat or a dog, um, it's going to be less work than that and you're going to get more out of it. And you're um, going to get, and you have to think about all the benefits that you get from chickens. Because a lot of people think, and I've heard this before, oh, I get eggs, but, you know, I'm probably spending more money on my feed for my chickens than I would pay to buy eggs at the store. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. If you're thinking about them only in that parameter, you know, it might cost you more. It might not. Mine is way cheaper if I think about the eggs that I'm producing because I'm feeding them local grains. It's soy free. It's corn free. um, And it's organic. If I was going to buy this kind of egg at my local co-op here in Maine... I've seen soy-free um, organic eggs for I think uh, six ninety-nine or seven fifty a dozen, mm-hmm. which is pricey. Back in Ohio, I bought um, soy-free, GMO-free, free-range chicken eggs for I think three thirty a dozen. And I'm way I get off way cheaper than that because mm-hmm. I spend probably about um, twelve. 
$15 on feed every week for all of my birds, which I have 60 of them. Um, well, plus you said to all the supplements that you add right. um, to keep them healthy, the kale right. and everything else. And I mean, all of that is all of that nutrition and goodness is making its way through and coming Producing out in the Producing better egg. quality eggs. Yeah. You know, I buy a big bag of kelp every year, a 50 pound bag of kelp, which ends up being fed to all of the different animals over the course of the year. Dogs, cats, chickens, pigs. One 50-pound bag of kelp pretty much lasts me the year. I buy a bag of minerals, which is I use azomite. They're all different kinds. Um, I buy a bag of that, and I pretty much divvy it up between all of the animals um, throughout the course of the year. But in reality, I mean, if your chickens have access to a little bit of outside and some greens, they're going to be able to balance their rations really easily. Um, yeah, I mean, I spend twelve, probably about 12 bucks on feed for my 60 birds. <coughs> I have 20 chickens. And this time of year, on average, I'm getting 10 or 12 eggs a day in the summer. When they're out free-ranging, I'm spending less on feed because they're out gathering greens and eating bugs and that kind of thing. But I'm probably getting um, 16 to 17 eggs a day uh, during that time of the year. So, I mean, even if you think at 3.30 a dozen, um, I'm still way farther ahead than I was before because I'm feeding 60 birds, not just my 20 birds, my 20 laying hens. Um, I'm getting meat from my ducks, which is free range meat. I'm getting insect control because the guineas, the ducks and the chickens all do a fabulous job at insect control, which is really great if you have a garden. And then I also get tons of manure, which when you think about the cost of buying organic manure um, or organic fertilizer, which is pretty expensive. And even the organic fertilizer you get at the store isn't organic in the way you think about it. It often comes from confined animal feedlot systems where they're being fed, you know, all kinds of crap and being given all kinds of hormones and... <coughs> And antibiotics and that kind of stuff. And that stuff, you're allowed to label that organic because it technically is an organic product. And I think a lot of people are confused that they think that's organic in the way of organic USDA food. organic, yeah. Um, so, I mean, even if chickens didn't produce eggs, I think I would keep them just for the manure, for the insect control. You can put them to work for you. Um, Harvey has a little flock of chickens that he keeps in kind of enclosed in a separate area in his main garden. And he just uses them as compost turners. Mm -hmm. He just continually throws compost in there and they scratch around and um, turn it. So you never have to turn your compost pile. Your chickens are doing that for you. And I would like to incorporate a composting area with like a, a couple chickens just in that area so that they can do that work as well. So, I mean... Think, if you're thinking about just the eggs, maybe, yeah. even then they're going to be cheaper, I think, to produce your own. But when you think about all the other value that they provide, which are really more about all those other things are way more valuable than the eggs, um, you're f way farther ahead than you would be otherwise. Plus the entertainment value. Yeah, because they're pretty funny. And the the last thing, uh, kind of a 
something to think about too would be splitting a flock with a neighbor or friend because then you can split the cost, you can split the work. And then, you know, the the good thing is the, the hard thing about having animals in general, you know this if you have uh, a dog especially, cats are a little bit less, but, you know, you want to take a vacation, you want to go away for a week, well, you need to find somebody to watch your animals. Well, if you're splitting your flock with a friend or with a neighbor, then, you know, you have somebody built in that would be... Uh, able to watch the flock while you're gone. And if not, then try to find somebody locally that'll come in and check on your chickens. Because again, uh, it doesn't take that much time, especially with that enclosed run system. It doesn't take that much time to come over, make sure they have food, make sure they have water, you know, make sure that everything's taken care of. Nobody's injured or uh, limping around. Um, and most and then, people are more than happy to do it to, in order to gather the eggs. Right. And then give them the eggs for free and just mm-hmm. say, hey, you can have the eggs. And uh, I'm telling you, people go nuts over, you know, farm fresh eggs mm-hmm. um, because they are so much better than than store-bought, especially conventional store-bought um, eggs. So um, you've mentioned a couple <laughs> books throughout the, the podcast, mm-hmm. um, especially uh, Harvey's book, so, which I believe we've talked about before in the past, but yeah. it's... And if you want to get chickens or thinking about getting chickens, I would highly recommend buying, making the, investing in this book because it is mm-hmm. really, it's the only chicken book you're going to need. And Harvey is, it's it's just chocked full of tons of information. A lot of the other chicken books are fluffy. They include lots of really pretty pictures of chickens. Yeah. But a lot of really not great information about how to keep chickens. Um, some of the books I've read, I think, man, they make chicken, keeping chickens seem like rocket science ridiculously hard and for two some of the information they give you and some of the things they tell you to do aren't really good advice not really great i wouldn't (laughs) things i would consider not really great advice yeah as far as keeping chickens so i mean i love harvey and harvey's book and how he's just practical and he talks about um he covers pretty much everything even breeding and that kind of stuff so this is really the only book you're going to need. And he has so much great information about how to maximize your chickens and what your chickens can do for you. I mean, he uses them to till up his garden and to turn new areas of his yard into garden space. And, you know, fantastic. It's just a really, really, really good resource. So that's The Small Scale Poultry Flock by Harvey Usury. Mm -hmm. And we'll put, of course, a link to that book in the show notes. And then the other book you have. And I've recommended this multiple times. Highly recommend buying this. Jean Logsons. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I always say Logsons, but I don't think that's how you pronounce it. It would be Logstons. Logstons. Gene Logstons Practical Skills. And he has just a, I mean, a super short little section in here about chickens. But it's just matter of fact. Pretty much everything you need to know. (laughs) No need to overcomplicate it. Throw down some grain for your chickens. Let them go outside a couple hours a day. And they're going to be completely fine. And I love that about um, Gene is that he is just, he does not overcomplicate any everything he breaks it down to his most simple form and it's just so practical and yeah i mean if you want to buy this for the section on chickens it's probably it's ridiculous because it really is only like six paragraphs yeah but the rest of the book is just as fantastic and he breaks i mean there's so much information in this book it is a really fabulous resource to have on your bookshelf 
So we'll put a link to both of those in the show notes, as we said. And you can find all that by going to CultivateSimple.com or Chiotren.com and clicking on the link to the latest podcast in the sidebar. Or uh, there's a link to all the episodes um, that we've had. Where This is episode 66, so we've got plenty of content. If you haven't been listening from the beginning, you can go back and listen. Or we've had multiple people tell us that they uh, listen to the podcast multiple times and take notes. And <laughs> which is really, really funny. <laughs> which is funny. Um, I don't know how you can stand to listen to us once. Uh, the other thing you can do to, to help us out is to use our Amazon affiliate link. If you are going to buy these books and if you click on one of these books, it uh, takes you to the Amazon listing for it. And what happens is that when you buy these books or anything, uh, once you click on one of those links, it actually uh, adds a little line of code there at the end of the link. And Amazon just knows that you came from the Cultivate Simple website. And that actually, uh, when you make a purchase, it gives us uh, a small percentage of that purchase. It doesn't cost you any more. They don't tack it onto you or pass it on to you. It's more of just like an, it's almost like an advertising fee. Um, they just know that you came from our website. And so they give us a, a few pennies. So um, if you're going to buy anything off Amazon, uh, use one of the links from the website. And like I said, that'll just, uh, that'll help us out a little bit with the the cost of things so yeah and if you have any questions about chickens yeah. or if you um i don't know have any comments about chickens yeah if there's anything that you think that we're wrong on <laughs> don't mention don't that mention it because we probably are um no but if you have any questions that's the beauty of chickens though they don't care yeah They've they're really around. they're really so many different ways you can keep chicken and do it well you know, my dad has chickens at the camp down in Columbia, and the chickens roost in the mango tree out front, and they just run around, and they lay eggs, and they're jungle fowl, and he lives on the edge of the jungle, and they lay a couple eggs a year. I mean, these are jungle fowl. They're not like yeah. layers, and um, they hatch out some chicks, and they run around with them, and most of them get eaten by jungle foxes and weasels, and they're ocelots and jaguars, and... But if you survive, yeah, and they just kind of, my dad doesn't even feed them. And it's like the, the barren wasteland down there in the dry season. And these chickens are completely fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you have any questions, comments about chickens, um, feel free to ask. Yeah. And I suppose we should move on to our... The spam comment spam of, the of the week. Because I know some Seems people to be really a segment like that people are really looking forward to and now. And these are so. pretty funny. It was kind of hard to decide which one to read from. All right. So and I'll got just a mention that there are probably, I would say I probably get about 100 spam comments a day on the mm -hmm. podcast. And now I have a plugin, so I really don't have to read through these. Um, most of them just go directly to spam. But probably every day I have to go in and spam five different comments that... Um, sneak through the filter. They sneak through the filter. They don't get approved, but they're sitting there and the, the filter says, hey, this might be a real comment. Maybe not. Check it out. These are the ones I usually pick from. And so this is the comment of the week. Tremendous difficulties, the following. I'm willing to fellow your own write-up. Many thanks, and I'm looking in advance to make contact with people. Would you like to be sure to follow me ascend? And yes, that is the punctuation. I try to make sure that I use the punctuation that they use, like when there's a question mark. It should be asked like a question. And it makes absolutely no sense. I don't know why you didn't approve that one. Um, no idea. 
Especially since it's from a drug place. Some sort of a drug. Yeah, and then I get ones that are like gambling, blah, blah, blah. Giftvouchers.com. It's good entertainment throughout the week. It is. Every now and then I read them because I think they're funny. I'd rather be a farmer. I'd rather work the land. I'd rather see the mountainside. I'd rather see your hand I'd rather swim the ocean I'd rather not pretend I'd rather do some thinking now Somehow it all depends If I could fly see my hometown I'd rather hold my wife I'd rather never question things That's the story of my life I'd rather not be crying I'd rather just be whole I'd rather brave the cleansing fire I'd rather feed my soul If I could fly away from me I'm crying out to you I'm ready to be finished here I'm ready for this season to If I could fly away from me 
you fly.